Hello, and welcome to the Spring Church podcast. My name is Matt McCoy, and I'm the pastor at Spring Church. Uh, Before we begin today's podcast, there's uh, two things I want to let you guys know. First of all, there's a number of footnotes in this particular podcast, and I'm not going to mention those because that would be really annoying as I'm reading the blog for today uh, to kind of reference footnotes. I can't figure out a way to make that work in a way that seems like it would be fun to listen to. And then the other thing is that I'm recording this on Thursday, January 7th, 2021, and yesterday uh, an angry mob stormed the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to prevent uh, President-elect Joe Biden from being certified as the uh, next president. And um, we put these, uh, Jesse and I put these blog posts and uh, videos and podcast together ahead of time because there's just the two of us and it's a lot of work to do all at once and so we spread it out over time and I'm really feeling the sense of um, how just incredibly sad I am the uh, the horrific events of yesterday and particularly as it landed on Epiphany and so um, even though this particular blog doesn't reference it directly uh, rest assured come Sunday night at church we will be uh, diving into how these events uh, are connected to Advent waiting and connected to Epiphany. And so know that that's coming even on Sunday, even though that's not referenced specifically in this blog. And um, yeah, just know that my heart is broken, uh, just as I'm sure your heart is broken over the events of what has happened um, yesterday and are continuing to unfold. And so without further ado, here is the blog post. This is the second part of Epiphany and the Magi in Spring Church. Throughout the Bible, most stories portray most leaders in a negative light most of the time. And that's because religious leaders tend to deserve it. God delights in using people who are invisible to us in order to disciple us. And the religious leaders often take their attention away from God and get distracted by power greed, ego, or something else. If our heart is a compass and God is our north, stories in the Bible reveal how religious leaders get their compass pulled off of north by the magnets of their own desires. God uses invisible people to bring them back home. You know, I'm going to pause the reading the blog post just to signal, right? It's amazing how much this first paragraph already connects to what happened yesterday. Wow. And now that... As a pastor, I'm officially a religious leader. Is it any surprise that our mission is uncommon friendship and common discipleship? I know we will have our compass pulled off of north, and I know God will use people invisible to us in order to bring us back home. Last week, with part one of this blog post, we explored how the people of Bethlehem didn't choose Ruth, the religious leaders didn't choose the Magi, and maybe God is sending disciples to spring church that we didn't choose, too. Uncommon friendship and common discipleship is, in part, a way that we try to cultivate the humility to listen to the voice of God in the lives of unfamiliar and unexpected people. So while I am often frustrated and saddened by the behavior of the religious leaders in the Bible, when it comes to the story we celebrate at the Feast of the Epiphany, I'm willing to give those religious leaders a little bit of slack because this story is straight crazy. But in order to bring on the crazy, we need to understand two Greek words. The first is epiphany, which is used in the Bible in a very similar way to how we use the word today. 
The Christmas season ends on January 6th with the Feast of the Epiphany, and it celebrates the star appearing in the east. The word epiphany comes from Matthew 7, when Herod asked when the star appeared. In addition to epiphany meaning appearing, showing off, or displaying, the word epiphany can also mean an illuminating discovery, a realization, or a disclosure. So the Feast of the Epiphany closes out the Christmas season by celebrating both the appearance of the star as well as the illuminating discovery of Jesus in the barn. The second Greek word we need to understand in order to bring on the crazy is the word magi. The magi take the biblical theme of God using invisible people to disciple us, and it kicks it up a notch. According to the Greek lexicon, which is what language dorks call a dictionary, called BDAG, the word magi has two definitions. First, a Persian, then also Babylonian, wise man and priest, who is an expert in astrology, interpretation of dreams, and various other occult arts. While they appear in other ancient texts from the era, they only appear in the Bible here in this story. The second definition for magi is a magician. Our English word magician comes from this Greek word magi. The two other places where the Greek word magi appears is in Acts 8, verses 9 through 24, with a magician named Simon, who is in Samaria, and in Acts 13, verses 6 through 11, when a magician named Bar-Jesus was struck blind. Please notice how being struck blind is the opposite of epiphany. In our modern era, I think we like to call them wise men because we like to think of happy thoughts about the story of Jesus' birth. Just like we don't want to think about the actual conditions inside an actual barn, we also don't want to think about the weirdness of sorcerer scholars showing up. The ancient Israelites didn't think too highly of people who received messages from the stars yet. Yet, as Dale Bruner observes, the Magi were outsiders in both race, they were Gentiles, and in profession, they were astrologers. Yet, they were invited to the party. God, in his great kindness, leads them to his Son. So, with these two words now properly understood, we're ready to enter this crazy story where God used the stars to announce that Jesus was born to astrologers from a different country. There are three characters to this story. King Herod, the religious leaders that English Bibles call chief priests and scribes, and the sorcerer scholars that English Bibles call the Magi. Now imagine we're part of the chief priests and scribes that Herod assembled in Matthew 2, verse 4, in response to the arrival of these well-educated wingnuts from a far-off land looking for the birth of a king of our religion. Like, nothing about this scene makes any sense at all, except that these foreign wingnuts got Herod the wingnut king all wound up for no reason. They asked where to find the child, and we say, yeah, Bethlehem, about five miles south of here. Yeah, I'll go get him. As the assembly breaks up, and Herod has his secret follow-up meeting with the Magi without us, verse 7, and we start walking home, I wonder what we would be talking about. Well, <laughs> I know most certainly what we would not be talking about. I would not look at you and say, hmm, I wonder if God used astrology to reveal to these foreign sorcerers that our long-awaited Messiah has come. And I don't think you would respond with, 
Even though we have the temple and the Torah and the land and we're God's chosen special family and there's all these ways that God has spoken to us in the past and we've dedicated our entire lives to walking with God, you might be right and we might be missing something. Our long-awaited king might have been born in Bethlehem and we missed it and maybe God chose to speak through an idolatrous religion like astrology to tell those wingnuts about it rather than tell us directly. We should hike over to Bethlehem and check this out too. Of course we wouldn't be saying that to each other, because that is straight crazy. If we were in their shoes, we would miss the birth of Jesus for sure. After that assembly broke up, we would walk home and talk a bit about how crazy those sorcerers were, how funny their outfits looked, maybe we'd make a joke about their weird accents, and we would laugh about the sheer ridiculousness of God using astrology to talk to them. And I would say, I'm grateful not to have to attend the secret follow-up meeting, and you would say, those wingnut astrologers and wingnut Herod deserve each other. What a pointless conversation they're having about our religion. We'd go home and forget all about it. And we would forget until a little while later, Herod started killing all the male babies in Bethlehem. So now that we can appreciate the insanity of this story a little better, let's re-enter the story while using the lens of Advent waiting that we've been using this year. We've been focusing on how our waiting has three components to it. One, it's active. Two, it's with other people. Three, we're waiting to see where God shows up. Is this story of the sorcerer scholars active? Yeah, these sorcerer scholars traveling from Persia to Israel most certainly is. Some traditions claim that 12 days of Christmas is the 12 days because that's how many days it took for them on the road to get to where they were headed. To go see Jesus. We have no way of knowing that for sure, but it's kind of fun to imagine that. And what do they do when they get together? They read the Bible. The sorcerer scholars read the Bible with Herod and the religious leaders. One of the first Advent small groups right here. Is it with other people? Here's an incredible example of uncommon friendship on display. There are three main characters in this story, the sorcerer scholars, the religious leaders, and Herod. They are from three different religions and three different ethnicities. Herod, as an Edomite, was a descendant of Esau. And here they all are reading the Bible together. Modern Christians would call the Old Testament, would call it the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. God delights in revelation, and God revealed through the language of the stars that Jesus was born. Where does that revelation take them? To the best revelation possible. Scripture. God revealed through the Bible was the way these sorcerer scholars understood the revelation through nature. And the Bible continues to be the way we understand all the other ways God continues to reveal himself to us. Third, is this waiting to see where God shows up? The religious leaders have been waiting for their king for hundreds of years. The sorcerer scholars have been waiting almost two weeks, and Herod isn't waiting for anything. He just wants to remain in control. But Jesus didn't show up in the temple. And Jesus didn't show up in the palace. Only the crazy people in the story had the imagination to go looking for a king in a place as crazy as a barn in a little town south of the capital. But God fills the spaces where there's room, and we're invited to participate with God in those spaces. And their efforts were rewarded with profound worship, with getting a glimpse of the joy of being together with Jesus, with their longings fulfilled. Going back to the analogy at the beginning of this blog, 
the compass of their hearts have finally found north. And so they worship. But the religious leaders missed it. And as a pastor and currently a religious leader, I don't want to miss the ways God is speaking to us today. If God frequently uses people who are invisible to us to disciple us, how will we cultivate the humility to listen for what God is saying? In light of the events of yesterday, and in light of how much this blog is about humility, I'm, and how little humility I saw on display yesterday, I'm going to read that again. If God frequently uses people who are invisible to us to disciple us, how will we cultivate the humility to listen for what God to listen to what God is saying? For Spring Church, that is what uncommon friendship and common discipleship is all about. And when I see a star hanging over a nativity scene, I'm reminded that God is crazy enough to use astrologers, astrology to speak to astrologers, and I want to be open to reading the Bible with them too. May we all cultivate the humility necessary to listen to the invisible people. May we all find God's shalom as we follow the star of the epiphany this year.